As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him. Calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, Let it be done to you, and their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. And while they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Jesus, we have received the invitation to come and see. And now, Lord, your word speaks to us that some see. Lord, may we be of those that see today whose eyes are opened. Lord God, as you meet with us and speak to us, your servants are listening to receive from your hand, from your heart. By your spirit, come. We welcome you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Well, it's wonderful to be here together with you again this morning. If you looked towards my pew and you did not see my wife there this morning, it is because she is at her fifth annual Pastor's Wives Retreat, which she uh, facilitates and leads and has been leading now for five years. And um, having a great time, I talked to her briefly this morning, and she'll be back this afternoon for which we'll be all grateful, particularly as the leftovers are pretty much done. Yes, it's a sad but true fact. Your pastor does not cook, other than breakfast. I do a mean breakfast, but beyond that, things things deteriorate quickly from there. So, all right, and thank you to uh, those and for participating with Jean's Move, Jean We'll be in her new place on Tuesday. All the big stuff's over, everything. Yeah, so looking good. Praise God for that. Christine is here this morning. You guys have plenty of adventure in your life. And they were celebrating their 25th wedding anniversary, so, you know, that's a way to celebrate. Yeah, well, congratulations on that. (laughs) There you go. All right. So, come with me to Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 27. As we continue the series that we have been in this fall, and will continue to be in up until Thanksgiving, and this morning we are looking specifically at Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 to 34, And I've entitled the message, Some See, and you will understand why I've entitled that 
by the end of the message, Lord willing, if I'm able to get this out clearly. All right, so I want to remind you, let's come back for a moment to uh, verse 27. In fact, I'm going to bring us back for a moment beyond that. I'm going to bring you all the way back to Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, and the calling of Matthew. So it tells us in 9, 9, that as Jesus went out from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. So this is sort of the centerpiece of this whole series of messages on follow me. But if you remember from a couple of weeks back when we were looking at that passage, immediately after Matthew follows Jesus, he throws this big party for all of his friends who happen to be tax collectors and sinners. Just so happens. And of course, that uh, raised the ire of the uh, kind of the spiritual mucky mucks, the, the Pharisees and that. They're like, why does your teacher uh, eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, verse 12, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, then John's disciples came up. So first of all, Earlier in chapter 9, the, the Sadducees had some conversation with Jesus, then the Pharisees. Now John's disciples have some uh, questions for him about the issue of fasting. And so they raise up. So everybody's kind of raising up issues around um, uh, to, to Jesus about the stuff that's going on uh, here at this banquet. But then in verse 18 it says, right at the end of his conversation there about the wineskins and the new wineskins and the fasting and all of that, while he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died. So just so we make sure that we have the context, Jesus is still reclining there at the table, having these conversations. He's in the midst of that when he's called away by someone who's in desperate need of help, the synagogue leader's daughter, has died, and he, and he asked Jesus to come with him. And Pastor Paul did a brilliant job last week of kind of unpacking this portion of the scripture for us. So I won't take time to do that again this morning. But as he's going, of course, the woman comes with the issue of blood, pulls on the edge of his garment, she's healed, and then he goes to the, where the, the, Jairus, the, the synagogue ruler's daughter is, and she's raised from the dead. And news of this, understandably so, verse 26, of this spread through all of the region. As Jesus went on from there. Now, it doesn't tell us where he went on to, but it probably, you know, I mean, a reasonable understanding. You know, he was at a party. He was reclining at a table. He was having this. He went out to do this and then... Perhaps, I, I don't think it's, it's too far afield to say he's, he's kind of coming back to that home. So he's either coming back to Matthew's home or maybe he's coming to his home in Capernaum, but he's, he's coming back to a dwelling place. And as he is going, two blind men followed him, calling out. And the word there is, this is not like simply... Uh, Jesus, Jesus, 
The word here is for hollering. And I will spare you that in the microphone this morning. But they're hollering at the top of their lungs, Jesus, have mercy on us, son of David. Have mercy on us, son of David. Now, what I want to begin this morning talking about is the issue of following. Following. Who were they following? Who was it that they were following? It tells us here, son of David, I'd like to go back for a moment because one of the wonderful things about an extended passage of Scripture and an extended uh, time in a book is that it gives you and affords you the opportunity of getting the larger view. And so I want to take a moment and come back with you to a couple of other names of Jesus that have already... We've already touched on, but I've never taken the moment to really go in depth about. And I'd like to do that this morning. Following, first of all, the first name that I'd like us to look at is the Son of God. Son of God. If you come back to Matthew chapter 4... This is the first occasion where the Son of God is spoken about. And whose lips are, is the Son of God on? But the lips of the enemy himself in chapter 4, verse 6. If you are the Son of God. And then in chapter 8, of course, it's the demoniacs who immediately, when the demons see Jesus... Son of David, son of God, I mean, son of God. But then throughout Matthew, over and over again, you're going to see this name, and I would like you to pay attention to that. So there's some work for you to do, and there's scriptures up here that you can go and look at to get deeper context for what's here. But what I want us to really grab hold of here is this. He is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. So, let me me back up for a moment. I don't know about you, and and I don't know about when you were a young person, or if you are a young person today, if you put posters on your wall. Some people put posters on their wall, right? They put posters of their favorite sports figures, perhaps their favorite musicians, um, perhaps their favorite artists, their favorite chefs, their favorite entertainers. Um, for me, my, my, mine was filled with Tolkien posters. Okay, that was, uh, I'll admit it. Yep, okay. So even in college, I had all these Tolkien calendars that I pulled apart and put them on. Okay, so. But I, I want you to think about this for a moment because, because those posters... Um, you know, the the stuff that you put up on your walls actually connect in one way or another. They connect 
to who it is that you are following. Right? I mean, one way or another. So I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of Green Bay paraphernalia up in the A-Strike household, right? Oh, no. I'm, I, I did that purposely. I'm, I'm getting the look. This is, yeah, right. Is it Dallas? Dallas. Oh, Dallas. All right. Yeah. And Stan, Stan, where are you? Stan's filled with Vikings stuff, right? Where's, where's your green and yellow today, Stan? Okay, so. But whatever it is, you, that's what it is that you're following. So, so when you think about this, I, I, okay, I'm giving you theological information, but I'm giving it to you for a purpose. Because what I'd like to see is, what I'd like us to have is in our mind, I would like to have posters of who it is that we are truly following. And one of those posters says, Jesus, Son of God. The one who is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. So, as it says in Psalm 2-7, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. Well, God uses those words for Jesus, I mean, God the Father, in the, uh, during the baptism when a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. While he was still speaking, this is in the transfiguration, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. So in Matthew 3, it was just as Jesus' ministry was beginning. In Matthew 17, it's just before Jesus' ministry is culminating with the cross. And the Father reminds Jesus and all those around, this is my Son, whom I loved. I am well pleased with Him. Listen to Him. So we need to follow the Son of God. The second is He is the Son of Man. We did see this a few weeks ago, but I want to remind us of what the Son of Man, the connotation of that particular title of Jesus, means He is the ruling, suffering, and soon-coming King. Again, you can follow throughout Matthew, and I encourage you to read those passages that will speak of who the Son of Man is. This is the title that Jesus uses very frequently for himself. The Son of Man. Now, that, of course, comes out of Daniel chapter 7, 13, and 14. However, it also comes forward into Revelation. We looked at the Daniel passage a few weeks ago. I want to bring us up to speed here with Revelation chapter 1. And I'm just using pieces of that. There's a full piece there uh, in in Revelation 1. When I turned, I saw someone like a son of man. And then it goes on to describe him in all of his glory. We sang how beautiful, how wonderful, how glorious he is. Well, when John the apostle saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Hallelujah. He is the son of man. He is the ruling king who suffered and who is coming again soon to take his people with him. This is who it is that we are following. 
This is who these blind men were following. Son of God, son of man, son of David. Son of David. Have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy on us. Well, the son of David is a very specific messianic title. It's a title that speaks of Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the anointed one. Now this is foreshadowed for us in Matthew chapter 1. Take a look here, Matthew 1. Remember the wonderfully stimulating genealogy, okay? We did this passage back during Advent, and we did find that Actually, there were some very exciting things there. But it begins with this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. The son of David. In verse 20, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared. This is to Jesus' earthly father, Joseph. Appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. So remember, Matthew's audience being a primarily Jewish audience, this was a particularly important title for them to understand of who Jesus was, who he is. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. And this comes right out of the prophetic word given to Samuel in 2 Samuel 7. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself, this is over David, will establish a house for you, When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is the very thing that that the Israelites were waiting expectantly for. And the Israelites, even today, the Jewish people, are still waiting for the Messiah to come. We know the Messiah has come. He is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. And and immediately this brings us as well back to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has anointed me. This is what the king does, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. He is the anointed one who does the works of the Messiah, the Christ, the waited, the one who has been wait, they've been waiting to come. This is Jesus. Remember back, this all pulls together. Remember back, go and learn. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. All right. Now, Get those posters in your mind. Jesus, son of God. Jesus, son of man. Jesus, son of David. Now that's the context 
of the blind men who are following. That's who we're following. That's who the blind men were following. And it's so interesting that he follows them. Come on, back to the text. When he had gone indoors, when they, so, so he takes them away from the crowds. Jesus often did this. He often went away from the crowd and brings them in so that they can have a direct encounter with him without all of the, you know, all the stuff going on with the crowd. Is any, anytime there's a crowd, there's a lot of stuff going on, right? There's a lot of dust in the air, literally and physically, physically and spiritually. When he'd gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them. This is a critical question. Underline this one in your own Bible, not in the Pew Bible, but in your Bible, please. Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they respond, yes, Lord. All right, so let's talk for a moment again about this issue of faith. So variously understood or misunderstood. I'd really like us to keep nailing this down because it's very important for us to understand this issue of faith. The first question we need to ask about faith is faith in whom? This is why I spent some time building a foundation for you with some posters on the walls of your heart. Because faith is not simply sort of a, a, a disconnected or a, you know, it, it's not just sort of floating out there free form. Faith actually has an object, something that is, is connected to. And for us, it is vitally important that we are connected to the right whom. Okay, everybody, yes? All right? So when they say, yes, Lord, they are saying yes to the Lord Jesus, who, as we have just seen, is the Son of God, the Son of Man, and the Son of David. And Jesus says this is a critical issue for us. In, in Matthew 16, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? We're going to get to this passage later, but let me just come to it today for a moment. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? Here's the critical question for you this morning. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he a good teacher? Is he a great guy? I mean, lots of pe people... People out there generally have a certain amount of, you know, they, they have some questions about or suspicions about the church or they, they're not so sure about the church. But you ask them about Jesus, most people just think Jesus is just great. They love Jesus. That's good. My question is, do they really know who he is? Have you, like, actually read what he says? Have you heard what's important to him? Have you actually 
dug down deep into understanding. Because because Jesus isn't just a nice guy. He's not just another prophet. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. He's the son of David. And Peter answers, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. There's two of the titles right there. We got all three of them, actually, because Jesus says, who do the people say the son of man is? And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jodah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The rock is not built on Peter. The rock is built on Peter's confession of faith in who Jesus truly is. And that takes a revelation from the Father. And so every one of us in this room this morning, my prayer for every single one of us today is that we would have a revelation of who Jesus truly is. Not what your mama says about him, or your daddy, or your brother, or your sister, or your children, but what do you say? Who do you say that Jesus is? That's the critical issue. For all of us. Young people, listen to me. You cannot glide in on your parents' coattails. You, God has no grandchildren. He's only got kids. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to barn makes you a cow. God is moving us. He's he's deliberately, I believe that God is really pressing us to move beyond sort of a cultural Christianity or a crowd Christianity, past even a committed Christian experience to a core experience where he really gets at the core of our lives. All right, so in whom, and then the question is for what? What do we come to him for? Well, I love this passage because it's so simple. I mean, listen to what the blind men don't say. They're not saying, son of of David, make us see, okay? I mean, that's implicit, but, but it's critical to see what they ask for. What they ask for is mercy. Mercy is the demonstration of God's grace and goodness. On a spiritual plane, it means the forgiveness of our sins and moving from death to life, from moving from darkness to light, from moving from deception to truth. All of that is wrapped up in God's grace and goodness, His mercy to us. His mercy comes to us on other planes in many different dimensions, some of which we see, some of which we don't see. I just had the opportunity, it just happened to be that I ended up having dinner on Thursday evening with um, Pastor Arthur and Molly Rauner and, and Pastor Paul, and, and, and I was sharing about how this Sunday we were going to hear some couple of miracle stories, of, and, and wasn't those great? I mean, just love from Kay and James, and of course, congratulations to the Clarks. Oh, yeah, so good. Um, and 
And Molly said something interesting. She said, I, I believe that miracles are happening all the time. The real miracle is when we pay attention. <laughs> and when we see what God's doing, the demonstration. He's doing it all the time. Now, this passage here is a direct connection. So, again, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with you on numbers of planes. To, I, I mean, I believe the Lord's dealing with us. I'm not. The Lord is dealing with us on lots of different dimensions today. So I'm giving you some theology because theology is important because it's simply the study of God. It just has to do with getting to know him more. Okay? So I want you to catch this. This is really interesting because what happens here in the passage we're looking at, two blind men are healed and a mute, deaf, mute person is healed and speaks. This is a direct, this is direct prophetic fulfillment of Isaiah 35. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy and water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. You know, if you're just racing through the passage, you won't catch that. But now you've caught it. Jesus is actually fulfilling the prophetic pronouncements that are found. I mean, this happens all through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, the Old Testament together. This is the connecting point. But Jesus is fulfilling those prophetic words of Isaiah 35. Sometimes you don't know what to pray. I'll tell you a really simple prayer. Jesus, have mercy. Say it with me. Jesus, have mercy. Again, Jesus, have mercy. One more time. Jesus, have mercy. Now, he knows what you need more than you know what you need. And that brings us to the end how. The end how is coming to him in that place of humble confidence, a profound awareness of our own inadequacy and a profound awareness of his adequacy. I've told you before, I'll tell you probably a million times before I'm done. Not today, but anyway, you know. Second Chronicles 20, 12, my favorite prayer. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's that humble confidence in him. It's the confidence that the writer of Hebrews invites us into in chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. Therefore, You'll have to go back and do that whenever you see the therefore. The therefore is therefore a reason to look back, but I won't go there today. But therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive what? So we may receive what? What are we going to receive? Mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Mmm, I love that. 
That's how we activate faith. Faith isn't all about faith. Let me put it. Faith is very little to do with you. It just isn't. Other than the activation point, which is reaching out to grab hold of him. It's not faith in your faith. It's not all these, you know, there's people with formulas and all this kind of stuff. That's not scripture. God is not a vending machine. He wants to be in relationship with you. He knows what you need. Jesus, have mercy. And I'm going to look to him with humble confidence. All right. We're coming home now. There's some fallout that happens. Can I, let's, let's finish the scripture out here. He touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done. Their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly. And this is an interesting passage that I won't have time to go all into. There's the, you know, why did Jesus tell them, don't tell anybody? I mean, on a very practical standpoint, it's going to be hard for them to keep quiet when they've been walking around blind and now they can see. Okay, people are going to probably notice. Okay. But Jesus has some particular, I mean, he's, he's concerned. He's not... He's not trying to whip up the crowds. He's not trying to, you know, there's, there's stuff here that's still unfolding. There's a plan and a purpose that's larger. They can't help themselves. They went out and spread the news about him all over that region. Instead of hollering, have mercy, son of David, now they're hollering, hallelujah, the son of David healed us. And while they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed, couldn't talk, was brought to Jesus. When the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute, smoke, now spoke, twice today I've said smoke, I have no idea, mute and smoke, sorry, mute spoke, all right, the crowd was amazed and said, listen to this, what they say, listen to this, listen, nothing like this has ever been what, seen in Israel. Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, well, it's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Now, we're going we're gonna to get to that in a few weeks. So I'm not going to even, I'm, but I am going to, there, there's two, two fallouts here. The first is wonder. The first fallout is wonder. The people are amazed. They're wondering, and wonder has to do with this awe. Wonder, has, wonder causes us to wonder, how did that happen? What's going on? And here's what I want you to notice this morning and pay attention to. Those who saw were the lost, the last, and the least of these. If you go through, particularly read those Son of David, here's your, here's your homework assignment. Read the Son of David passages and figure out who it is that's giving him that title. It's the blind, it's the lame, it's the dumb, it's the Canaanite woman, it's the Gentile pilgrims. It's tax collectors and sinners, it's children. It's all of the people, it's all of those people who see. Remember, you know who those people are. They're not you. They're those people. It's those people. But those people are the ones who see. But then there's those that walk in what I'm calling willful blindness. And these were the folks that were the self-righteous and the self-satisfied and the self-contained, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the rulers, the rich, the rebellious. 
These are the ones that willfully did not choose to feel. So this morning, my question to us is, do you see? Are you willing to be among those who walk in wonder, or will you and I choose to walk in willful blindness? And it's a choice. Jesus talks about these in John 12. It says in verse, John 12, verse 37, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of, the, of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. There were those who could not, would not see. So my invitation, okay, so I've I've shared this with you a couple of times and I'm probably going to keep sharing it with you as long as it's got my heart. And that is, the hands of Jesus are deep in the clay of our hearts right now, and he is hollowing out a place in us for his name to be hallowed. And if he's hollowing out a place in us, just as Sarah shared this morning about those things when I will not want, when we see and taste and see the goodness of God, what else is in our heart that needs to be hollowed out? Are we self-righteous? Are we self-satisfied? Are we self-contained? I think if we're honest, I know if I'm honest, there's some of that in me that he's still working out, right? He's still got his hands in the clay of my heart. Because he's hollowing out a place where he can be hallowed. Because he wants us to see him as he is, son of God, son of man, son of David. He wants our faith to be in who he truly is, not how we imagine him to be. As someone has said, God created man in his own image, and man has returned the favor, creating God in his own image. But he's not contained in any image, whether it be physical or whether it be in our mind. He is larger and greater and bigger than that. So that is who we have faith in, crying out for mercy with humble confidence. Last scripture. 2 Corinthians 4. Come on, come on up, worship team. Thank you. 2 Corinthians 4. 4. We're going to do a couple of songs in response. We're going to start with, Lord, we need you. Oh, we need you. For the God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Would you please look at that scripture again? Actually, can we read it together and let it sink into your heart right now? Let's read it together. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, 
who is the image of God. See, this is, where, this is where the battle takes place. It's a battle in the mind. It's a battle of the sight. This is why Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened, enlightened, because if the, if the enemy can keep us blinded so that we cannot see, we won't see Jesus in the fullness, in the glory of who he truly is. And he wants to open up your and my eyes. So my question for us this morning is, has the veil been removed from your eyes so that you can see clearly? By the way, this is a question for my own heart as well. Has the veil been removed from my eyes so that I can see clearly? Jesus, can we stand to our feet, please? Jesus, have mercy on us, son of David. Have mercy on us, Son of Man. Have mercy on us, Son of God. We need to see you more clearly. I really feel like there's a critical moment here, so I'm going to ask you just to stay present, if you would, both physically and spiritually, if you, if you can. Just stay with us for just a couple more minutes. We're going to sing a couple of songs to just kind of, but to, 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 to connect our heart. They're, they're, this first song is a prayer. Lord, we need you. Lord, I need you. It's the, the last closing song we're singing. We're starting with that. Lord, I need you. Go ahead and please put the words up. Thank you. The last closing song. Lord, I need you. Lord, I come and I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one who guides my heart. I'm going to just open up this altar, and if you just want to come and confess a place of blindness in your own life, whatever that is, just asking the Lord humbly. I mean, if you want to follow him, this is, you know, just imagine for a moment we've come back to the house. Jesus is right here. And he says, come on in with me. Do you believe I'll do what I've said? Do you believe that I can do what you're asking? Do you believe that I can give you mercy? I believe that he can. So come. Lord, I come and I confess. In your own words, in your own language, just begin to exalt him right now. Just sing a new song. Father, we lift you up and we exalt your name, Father. Lord, we come before you with confidence that you are God and that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. Lord, we thank you today that you have blessed us, Lord. You have given us everything that pertains to life and to godliness. And we shall reign in this earth, Lord, as kings and queens, We shall reign in this earth, Father. Lord, so we rise up today 
And we rise up with your name on our lips, Lord. And with faith in our hearts, we say we see, Lord. We see what you showed us today, Father. And we say have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us, Son of David. Have mercy on us, Son of God. Have mercy on us, Son of Man. We thank you, God, for your mercy. We praise you for your grace. And we give you glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, Father. Lord, as we go from this house to our homes, sent to make disciples of all nations, Father, help us to open our mouths and proclaim the goodness of your gospel. Not ashamed, not afraid, not holding back, Lord, but to proclaim your goodness, Lord, until we come together in this house. The Lord be with you all. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah.